you turn with me to the Gospel of St. John, chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. And I know the full, the full reference is the entire chapter, 1 through 41. But we're only going to read the first uh, 1 through 4. That's all that we're going to read today. If you didn't bring the word with you, or maybe, maybe you, don't, you don't have one, we've got it up on the screen for you in the modern English version. And uh, that's the one we're going to read together. Follow along in whatever translation you have. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but it happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work while I'm in the world. I am the light of the world. Amen. Now let me help you grasp the setting. Jesus has been in the Temple Mount area. And he has been teaching. The Pharisees interrupted his teaching by bringing a woman that they uh, arrested in the very act of adultery and brought her to Jesus and threw her at his feet, hoping to trap him by saying, well, the law says she should be stoned. What do you say? But instead of her being condemned, their own conscience was condemned as Jesus began writing in the sand and then said, uh, the person here that's without sin, you get to throw the first rock. And they slowly began to leave, leaving the woman standing there alone. And Jesus, of course, said to her, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. And then Jesus continued teaching there in the Temple Mount. His teaching focused primarily upon the fact that he was the light of the world. But he ended that teaching with this very profound statement that shocked everyone in the crowd. He said these words, before Abraham was born, I am. And then leaving them with that shock statement, Jesus began to leave the Temple Mount. And as he was leaving, he passed a man who had been blind from birth and his whole life had basically been a beggar there in the temple area. And as they're going by, his disciples asked him a question that I hear often asked today when someone finds out they have a debilitating disease or maybe a baby is born with a disability. Maybe they, they have a car wreck or some way they're injured. And, and a number of times I've had people ask me, well, isn't this because of sin? And Jesus answered his disciples with a twofold answer. Now, the, the second part of his answer is going to be where we focus today. But the first part of his answer is really important. He looked at them and he said, neither his parents nor this man sinned. 
this came about that the mighty power of God might be revealed. And, and I, I, I got to tell you, yeah, there, there are times when we suffer consequences of our, of our own sinful actions, right? Okay, if, if we've been foolish enough to drink and drive when we get in a car wreck and we get injured, that, that's because of our sin, right? Okay, but the majority of time, the reason that we become disabled or the reason we get a disease is for the same reason that this man, we live in a fallen world. And living in a fallen world, sinful people do sinful things and sometimes we suffer the consequence of their sinful action, not ours. And other times it's simply because we live in a fallen world and there's disease in this fallen world and we, and we, we contact a disease. Come on, amen? Because we, we live in a fallen world. And in that case, God wants to demonstrate his mighty power in our life. Amen? But the second part of his answer is really, really significant. He said, I've got to do my father's work while it is yet day. For the hour is coming. The darkness will come. No man will be able to work. See that right, right in the middle of the scripture there? I must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is making a powerful statement that, that there comes seasons when darkness is so great that doing the work of the kingdom of God seems almost impossible. Work is arduous. Fruit is little. And, and it's, it's, like, it's like the kingdom of darkness seems to be in control at that moment. Now, now we know God is greater. Amen? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But there are just those seasons of darkness. And there's, there's been many of those seasons down through history. The apostolic church, when it was birthed on the day of Pentecost, was vibrant and powerful. And there was great fervor. And, and it continued that way on through that first century A.D. and into the second century and even into the, the third century A.D. But by the time you got into the fourth century A.D., it was waning. And there, there came this marriage between the church and politics and the church and government. And as the years went by into that fourth century, there was like each year there was a... a, a a greater loss of fervor and spiritual power until the church had a form of godliness but no power. It was focused on political and governmental power. But even worse, by 467 A.D., the church 
had gone monastic. And the gospel was hidden behind the walls of the monasteries. And all religious services were held in Latin, not the language of the people. And so the general populace was illiterate and had almost no knowledge of the Holy Scriptures and of the gospel because the gospel was no longer being preached. It was a religious form that was being preached. Well, there were, there were seasons of light, like with Savonarola in Florence or the Waldensian in southern France or John Wycliffe in Great Britain, Jan Hus in Prague, in Bohemia, what we would know today is the Czech Republic. But for 1,100 years, this season, today it's called the Middle Ages. And most people today are not aware that's a historical rewrite. For centuries it had been called the Dark Ages. And the reason that it was called the Dark Ages is because the gospel was hidden. It was behind the walls of the monasteries. It was, in the, it was in the hands of those who were educated, but the general populace was illiterate. And because of that, spiritism was the rule of the day. And people were buying indulgences, believing that they could buy their way into heaven, even though they lived very sinful and dark lives. And it was during that same time period that a man in Saudi Arabia birthed a new religion and a new form of culture of that moment. Islam was born and the Muslim religion was born in the middle of that time, in 600 A.D. And in the first hundred years, from 600 A.D. to 700 A.D., Islam spread from Medina and, and uh, in Saudi Arabia clear to Spain covering all of North Africa and making its way into southern Europe in 100 years. Why? Because it was dark. But thank God, October 31st, 1517, one man standing with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he nailed on the door of the, of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, the 95 Thesis, and Martin Luther birthed the Reformation and the light turned on. Hallelujah. Now, 80 years later, the, the light would go out again in Great Britain when Henry VIII separated from Roman Catholicism and birthed the Church of England. But by 80 years into the Reformation, the Church of England had become a governmental thing. And, and most of the preachers were heavy into alcohol and immorality, and they were no longer preaching the gospel. And into that situation, individual, individual preachers began to rise up, and they called themselves the Puritans. And the light turned back on. By the way, 
John Bunyan was one of those men who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, you've stolen out of your own pocket. You need to read Pilgrim's Progress. Don't read the revised version. Get back to the original one. Yes, it's difficult reading, but you need to read Pilgrim's Progress. And down through, I could keep going on down through history. I just gave you a little historical right here from 1730 clear to the 1980s of how it was like about every 40 to 50 years, darkness would rise up and the light would get dim and the labor would get hard. But into that situation, God would raise up men and women who would stay true and would pray and fast until the light turned back on again. And we're, we're in one of those seasons right now. About 30 years ago, in the late 1980s, the light began to dim. It was like darkness just began to gain control. By the time we got into the turn of the millennium, it became very hard. And here's the curious thing. People look at it and they go, wait a minute, what about all these mega churches? But when you take a real hard look at the mega churches, first of all, mega churches are only about 1% of the churches in America. They're just the ones that get all the press. The average church in America today 75% of them are 100 or less in size. We're in the top 20%. But can I tell you this? All across America, there's only two denominations that can measure true church growth in the last 30 years. All the others and the independent churches and the interdenominational movements, all of them have church decline. And the reason is because we've gone into one of those dark seasons. Greg Laurie who is founder of the Harvest Crusades. He's also the senior pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California. Speaking at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention just a short time ago, he said this, Our country was going the wrong way, fast, in the late 1960s. Drugs, sexual revolution, broken families, toxic political divisions, in many ways, America's in the same situation today with people searching for answers and seeking unity and healing. We need to pray that millennials and Generation Z experience their own Jesus revolution because they tend to be lonely, feel disconnected, and have a high suicide rate. Revolution is cyclical in nature. America has a pattern of a new spiritual awakening occurring every half a century. That means we're due for one again. Yes, it is, Pastor Greg. Yes, it is. 
Of course, he was, he was born again in the Jesus Revolution at Calvary Chapel under the ministry of Chuck Smith, back when Calvary Chapel wasn't the size it, it became under his ministry. He was saved out of a drug background. Almighty God transformed his life and made him, he, he became an evangelist at 19 years of age. Just amazing. If you've not read his, his new book, Jesus Revolution, you need to read it. You need to read it. It's powerful. God is at work. I truly believe that. Jesus was saying to his disciples, it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. I, I, love, I love the last part of what Jesus said. I am the light of the world. He was, he was giving hope in this situation. And then he gave us the greatest of illustrations. I love it. Remember the disciples' question? Who sinned? His parents or this man? Jesus goes, no one sinned. But that the power and the mighty work of God might be revealed. And then Jesus did the unthinkable. He knelt down and he spit in the dirt. And then he began to take that spit and dirt and he formed it into some clay. And he took the clay and put it on the guy's eye. Now, that may sound really revolting to you. Okay? Did he spittle on the guy's eyes? Yeah, he did. And then he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man did. When the man got to the pool of Siloam and washed his face, when he got done washing his face for the first time in his life, he could see. And he came back. And when he came back, the people were going, isn't that the guy that was, that was born blind? Others said, well, looks like him. Others said, I think it is. He says, I am. I am. I'm that guy. I was blind, but now I can see. This guy told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He put mud on my face. I don't know if he knew then it was mud made with Jesus spit or not. Man, is that amazing? Now, you go, okay, so what's the big deal? It becomes a big deal when you understand the background of this situation. The Pool of Siloam, as it was called at the time of Jesus, that was not its historical name. Historically, and in Hebrew, it was called the Waters of Shiloh. The source of the water came from the Gihon Spring. The Gihon Spring was just outside the city of David, which became a part of the city of Jerusalem. During the time of King Hezekiah, when the Assyrians were going to attack them, King Hezekiah built a tunnel 
that brought the waters from the Gihon Spring inside the city of Jerusalem to this pool of water. And it was called the waters of Shiloh. But during the time of, I, of the prophet Isaiah, God spoke to the people of Judah in a very powerful prophetic statement. It's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 8, verse 6. I'm going to read it to you. Listen to these words. Inasmuch as these people refused the waters of Shiloh that flow softly, and rejoiced in Rezin and in Remaliah's son, now therefore behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river, strong and mighty, the king of Assyria and all his glory, and he will go up over all his channels and go over all his banks. He'll pass through Judah. He will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings will fill beneath of your, or will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Listen to what Almighty God is prophesying through Isaiah. He is saying, because you refused the waters of Shiloh. And he's talking to Judah. What's he saying? He is saying, you have gone to Syria and you have made an alliance with the king of Syria to defend you against the kingdom of Assyria. The kingdom of Assyria at that time was made up of what we would know today as Iran and Iraq. It had not, not yet conquered Syria and Jordan, what we know today as Syria and Jordan. He was going to, but he hadn't yet. And so Judah, rather than turning to Almighty God, the waters of Shiloh, rather than turning to Almighty God, they turned to human resources and human strength and human armies to defend them rather than looking to Almighty God. And God said, because of that, because you've done that, because you've refused the waters of Shiloh, I'm saying to you, you're going to be conquered by Assyria. And they were. Oh, but listen. Now let's fast forward to the time of Jesus. Jesus is referring to the same pool of water, the waters of Shiloh, only now it's called the Pool of Siloam. But what do we have going on? We have again Israel not looking to Almighty God. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests, they were all into political intrigue and government. They used bribery. They even used conspiracy and murder to hold on to their positions as high priests. It was a form of godliness, but no power. They were looking to human strength and human resource. Their righteousness was how well they dressed, how large were their phylacteries, how great were their robes. They would even have people blow trumpets when they would give offerings. I mean, it was just all show. It was all humanism and no power of Almighty God. 
Jesus Christ is confronting that directly. Here was a blind man that sat at the Temple Mount year after year after year in the shadows of this religious monument that had no power and no form, only form. And Jesus stops him. And he takes his own saliva and mixes it with clay puts it on the guy's eyes and he says go to the waters of Shiloh and wash and you will experience water transformation what's Jesus doing he is giving a physical example of what is about to take place on the day of Pentecost. On that same Temple Mount, 120 men that are going after Almighty God with all their heart. And as they're seeking Almighty God with all their heart, the living water, the waters of Shiloh, come out of heaven and baptize them with power. Suddenly, suddenly, Almighty God steps into the scene. You see, only Jesus Christ can do this. Only Jesus Christ can do this. Jesus has to be identified with us here. Each of you stand to your feet. Would you with me? Two human beings. Where were you born and raised? Conrad, Montana. Where were you born and raised? Not in Huntington. Were, were you in that one? That's what half Hermiston, half Echo. Did, did your mom know that? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So what great religious things did you do that made it possible for you to be a pastor. And you must have just really done some great religious things as a child. And you know what that means. You've been a, a man of God. What did you what did you do? Nothing. 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 In fact, quite the opposite. Yeah, yeah. We won't go into that right now. So what great religious things did you do as a child and growing up and as a teenager and as a young man that made it possible for you to be the worship leader you are and write music and to be the man of God that you are? Nothing. 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 See, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And the Greek there, literally, we have this treasure in cracked pots. We're made of clay. And we leak. And we have flaws. And we have weaknesses. And if you bump us too hard, we'll crack more. May even break the handle off, right? May even shatter, right? We're, we're, just, we're just clay. We're 
clay. But look what Almighty God did. Almighty God took his own life and shaped us as these clay vessels. And then he makes us the temple of the Holy Spirit. Only God can do that. Without flaw? All three of us up here got flaws. Got little little foibles, little weird idiosyncrasies. Thank you, man. You can just do that. Well, maybe they don't have weird idiosyncrasies. I do. We're just, we're just, we're just, we're just clay pots. And every one of you in this room, you're just a clay pot. But I want you to understand something. You are the very source of the next spiritual awakening of Almighty God. When you will make Jesus the main thing. When you will make Jesus the main thing. He's the light of the world. When you make him the main thing in your life. Not a paycheck, not your hobbies, not recreation, not the stuff of this world. But Jesus, make Jesus the main thing. And then when you will go to the waters of Shiloh, and you will wash in the waters of Shiloh, and you will let the living water of the Holy Spirit not only fill you, but baptize you, then I am saying to you, now you become a source of great transformation. But there's something you got to know. When this guy came back healed, the religious people got mad. The, the religious people got mad. They, the, when, when, when the crowd saw he was healed, they took him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees said, who did this? They said, uh, oh, I, I, this, this, this guy, and he told them the story. And they, they couldn't believe it. And, and half the Pharisees said, well, this must be a man of God. The other half said, ah, oh, he's got to be of the devil. And so then they called in the parents and said, was there, was, is this your son? Yeah. Was he really blind from birth? Yeah. Then how come he sees? I don't know. Ask him. I don't know what happened. So they asked him again. Okay, tell us your story. And they said, okay, here's what you got to do. You've got to declare that this guy is of the devil and not of God. And he goes, wait a minute. You got to read this. This is this is in chapter nine. This is this is so funny, because he says, "Now let me get this right. You don't know if this guy is a man of God or not, and you're the religious leaders. In the history of mankind, has anyone ever been able to make a man blind from birth see?" And you don't know if this guy is a man of God or not. The devil doesn't do that. It's God that does that. And they got all mad and they kicked him out of the temple. He couldn't be a part of the, the Jewish religious crowd anymore. And so Jesus found him later, having known that he got kicked out. He said, it's okay. I'm Messiah. Come follow me. And he became a follower of Jesus. Now, I'm telling you this because I want you to understand something. Every new move of God has been rejected by the existing religious movement. 
In my ear, it was the Jesus people and the charismatic renewal. Okay, when I when when I came in, you, you'd hear things like like this in the pulpit. Bless God, those long-haired stringy genius, they knew Jesus. They'd get their hair cut and they'd cut their beard off and they would wear some decent clothes. They they they, they couldn't believe it was God. I, I was sharing with the worship team this morning in the Jesus People movement, a pastor in California of a Pentecostal church there on a Sunday morning, congregation about 500, on Sunday morning in the middle of worship, things kind of came to a standstill when it sounded like a thousand Harleys had pulled up in their parking lot. You know what they sound like. You know, and these hogs all pull into their parking lot. And then right through the door and down the center aisle, come all these guys and gals in their leathers. And, and of course, all their tuxedos and all that. And they were coming to church. Now, they didn't know anything about church except this. When you go to church, you wear a tie. And so they had on their leather vest, of course, no shirt on underneath it, but they did have a tie on. They came right down front, and they sat on the floor. All of them sat on the floor, right in front of the pulpit, right in front of the pastor. And the congregation, you could hear the clicking. that whole group got saved that morning and gave their life to Jesus. See, we, we, we've got a decision that we have to make. Are, are we going to stay church normal, USA, second millennium, or are we going to make Jesus supreme and go after the living water? Because you cannot do it without the living water. It's not enough just to believe in Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, don't go do anything until you receive the promise of the Father, until you're endued with power from on high. We have to have Jesus as the main thing, but then we have to have the power of the living water flowing also so we can operate and work in the power of God, not human energy and human strength. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to pick up here next week, and I want to talk to you about the next big thing God is doing, and that is he's restoring the priesthood. Oh, so we're all going to start wearing robes and Everything's got to be done by the reverend. Oh, no, 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 no. We're all priests and priestesses. See, you, you get to be the, the healer. See, spiritual awakening doesn't happen from the pulpit. It happens from the heart of every individual that will make Jesus the main thing and that will get so hungry for the Holy Spirit that they will even at times shut off their televisions, shut off their DVDs to spend an evening waiting on God and seeking more Holy Spirit in their life. Oh, yeah. That's what we got to have. Church, 
we've got to have it. We've got to have it. 